So um, the first kind of bit of scripture that we're going to read comes from John twelve thirty seven, And it's just kind of reiterating that, that first point we made, that the purpose of miracles is to co- confirm his authenticity. This is Jesus speaking, or this isn't Jesus speaking, this is John commentating about Jesus. It says, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, there being the disciples, they still would not believe in him. Um, so this is kind of one of the first instances that we see, um, like in, in the Bible, I guess we'll say the overall author of the Bible, drawing our eyes to the actual meaning of, of miracles. Um, the next verse that I have here to support this point comes from Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. And so it says, We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So that one's a little bit more complex, but if we really focus on the like end, the last you know two verses, um, it talks about how the salvation of Christ was proclaimed by the Lord and then testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> this kind of talks about how like how these miracles occurred. They they had they were God working through Jesus as a vessel. Um, to then testify by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so now, like I said, we're talking about the Messianic secret. We see all these miracles. The next thing we want to look at is when Jesus told other people to not tell people about these miracles. So um, I actually want to ask a question here. Just off the top of your head, like, it's completely okay to be wrong. I just want to hear, like, what we think in in the first place. Why... You know, why would Jesus not tell um, other people about the miracles? Yeah? Other people might think he's being selective if they knew that he didn't tell anyone first. Yeah. It's okay to be wrong. Just, Just give me what you got. People might want it, like, for themselves, too. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have any ideas? Sam, what do you think? Well, I know what you're going to say. Well, what did you think before we talked about this? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's okay. Anybody else? It's all right. So... We're going to now kind of look at three main reasons. But before I tell you those reasons, I want to um, have the person who's going to read the first point, which is Mark eight twenty-seven through 30, get ready. Um, so the first point, I guess we kind of have, and one of the first reasons that Jesus tells people not to, like tells his audience not to talk about this miracle is that... Uh, in this time, this, this one requires some context. So in the time, the, the Jewish people thought that the Messiah was going to be some sort of like military king. And so they thought like he would come in and they thought his, <clears throat> they thought his entire purpose or his main purpose would be to overthrow the government. 
And so in this time period, the, the Jews, we'll say, were kind of like, in, not necessarily in captivity, but they were like subject to the Roman government. And the Roman government wasn't very nice to Jews, and they weren't very helpful, and the Jews hated it, you know, just, just to be blunt. And so they thought, okay, well, the Messiah is going to come. And he's going to like make us not have to be subjects of the Roman government. We'll be completely free, um, and, and it'll be great. So in this first point, we want to see that Jesus tells his audience not to tell because if the Jews all think that he is the Messiah, they, if, if these miracles really confirm that he truly is the Messiah, and the Jews go out and tell everybody that he's the Messiah— then the Romans are going to say, well, the Jewish Messiah is going to come and he's going to release all of the you know, Jews from captivity under the Roman government and overthrow our government and Caesar and all of that, um, which, of course, the Romans wouldn't want. And so in order to stop that, they would kill Jesus. Um, and so this would cause Jesus you know, crucifixion early, right? And not at the time that was predestined by God, if you may. So... Um, we, we want to see this. We see it in uh, Mark eight twenty seven through 30. So Tyler, can you read that for us? Yeah. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of... I'm not sure how to say that. Just give it, give it a shot. Caesar of Philippi. There you go. And on the way, he asked his <clears throat> disciples... Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So in this specific situation, if Peter were to go out as a typical Jew and say, like, Hey, the Jewish Messiah is coming which Messiah or Christ both mean the same thing. It's anointed one. If they were to go say that, then the Romans would think, oh no, like our government is, you know, at some sort of, it's going to be tested. It's going to be overthrown. We better kill this guy. So then they would kill Jesus, which they did do eventually. um, But it wasn't at the right time. It was happening too early. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why Jesus would tell his audience or disciples like, hey, hey, don't just go tell everybody that I'm the Messiah because my time has not yet come. His time has not come in, in this instance. Uh, the next point, um, so the person who's reading, who's got the second point, which is Mark 1, 40 through 45, if you want to get ready, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. So uh, this is pretty simple. It's just talking about how um, if you know Jesus is performing these amazing miracles, like we saw like, you know, maybe healing a lot of people or turning water to wine or feeding 5,000, like people are going to flock to him, right? I mean, we see it in, you know, if you go to like LA and a celebrity gets out, like people just like flock to them to get autographs or whatever else. And so um, this is kind of more of a modern concept, but it's, it impacts his like ability to teach um, if all these people kind of flock to him. And also at some points he was kind of like kicked out of the city because there were too many people there. Um, And so he would have to go like preach on the outside of the city, which, you know, isn't ideal. And, you know, people would still come, but it's like kind of a different circumstance. Not that it wasn't predestined by God, but that was the point of him saying it. So whoever's got Mark 1, 40 through 45, 
Uh, let's hear what you got. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indig indignant. <laughs> he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses command commanded for you, cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So here we kind of see that exact, you know, situation playing out. The leper, despite Jesus saying, don't go tell everybody, did. Um, and due to him telling everyone, Jesus had to stay out on the outskirts of the city, um, which, I don't know, if you were to kind of think about a city at that time, it's pretty compact, uh, and it would be much more like suitable area to kind of give a message like that. Um, of course, you might have places like the uh, Sermon on the Mount, where it was like perfect for like a large sermon, but kind of sitting out like in a valley or something like that is not ideal to do some sort of sermon. So too many people, really hot, um, just not, not the ideal place. Uh, the next one is going to talk about our second and third point kind of together. So whoever's got the third, which is Mark seven thirty one through 36, you can get ready. And I'm going to introduce our third point. Um, and this is going to be our main point today, um, the, the third point. So if Jesus were, and, and this one is a little bit, it requires some peeling of layers that we'll say, but if Jesus were to tell or having have his audience tell everyone about his miracles, people would be coming to him so that they could see his miracles and not so they could know Christ. The point of Jesus' ministry, the point of Christianity, the reason why we follow Christ today is because we want to know Christ not because we get something from Christ. And I, I just, like, we're going to, like, harp on this today. Like, it is, it is the whole point. The whole point is knowing Christ, experiencing God. Um, so, so this is, like, almost a metaphor or an analogy for the way faith is supposed to be um, in all ways. The, the way that we're supposed to approach Christianity, the way that we're supposed to, re supposed to approach a relationship with Christ, um, we shouldn't be coming because of like health and wealth that's promised to us. There are all these promises uh, that are given to um, the Israelites or Christians or whatever, if you read through the Bible, like inheritance in heaven, or you know, if you're persecuted or you leave your family, like you might get 10 times more, 100 times more or whatever in heaven. And it's like, yeah, great. That sounds awesome. But it's not the point. Like you can't just be like, oh, I want to follow Christ because, you know, I get, you know, blank in heaven or, I'm promised this in life. Because um, oftentimes we're taking the initial verse out of context anyway. Uh, but even if we aren't, it's like not the point of, of Christianity. The point is to know Christ. So let's look at Mark seven thirty one through 36 next. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. 
He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. The more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. So this is just an example of a miracle that would bring not only large crowds, but also bring large crowds of people that were coming um, for the wrong reason, right? They're coming to have whatever iniquity they might have healed. And that's not necessarily wrong, but if that's our whole posture when approaching Christ, then it's, you know, it's like you kind of, you kind of need to back up. Your, your mindset is, is incorrect. It's not wrong to go to Christ if you're in pain or if you're hurting or, you know, if you have a health issue, uh, whatever it might be, especially like if you might have a demon or something like that, you, you want to go to Christ. Now I want to say, if you are truly a Christian, you, you cannot be possessed, just to, just to take that out of there. Um, but uh, in, in these situations, you do want to go to Christ. Um, but the point is to know Christ, not to get something from Christ. He's not a vending machine. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. Um, and, and the last one is uh, Mark five thirty nine through 43. So whoever's got the fourth one, get ready. I'm going to just give the context. This is the healing of Jairus' daughter. Um, Jairus is an important person in the synagogue, a Jewish leader. He approaches Jesus um, saying, like, Jesus, can you come heal my daughter? Uh, she's dying right now. She's 12 years old on their way. There's a bleeding woman who's been bleeding for 12 years who touches Jesus like cloak. And she says to herself, like, if I just touch his cloak, then I can be healed. Um, and immediately after she touched his cloak, she was healed. And then Jesus stops in the crowd and he says, who touched me? He gives this whole little message about that. And then they come and say to Jairus, they're like, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. And then he's like, all right, I'm on my way. And that kind of picks up to where we are right now. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Okay, so here's another example of a miracle that uh, would not only bring crowds, but uh, would bring people to Jesus just for, you know, a vast number of reasons. This is like, he just raised someone from the dead. Like, if he can do that, then, you know, he can do just about anything. And we can even see that um, in uh, Mary's faith with the situation with Lazarus later in, in uh, the Gospels. But uh, what I, what I want to point out is, all of these little passages, these all come from Mark. And typically, if you're talking about the Messianic secret, um, people will look in Mark because it's mentioned the most there. However, um, it is a fallacy to say that it's only talked about in Mark. It's mentioned, I believe, in three of the four Gospels, if not all four. Uh, but it definitely is mentioned in Matthew as well. So um, the Messianic secret isn't something that points to errancy in the scripture. It, I think it points more to inerrancy. Um, and, and really shows the character of Christ and why Christians um, should be, you know, that way that we should be approaching Christ. So I, I keep talking about knowing Christ. Um, and I want to make sure that we understand this. Like, 
to understand what it means to know Christ. Because it's like one of those things that you can just say, like, oh, I want to know Christ. Like, I want to experience Christ or something like that. But what does that mean? So um, I think before I kind of go over this point, I I do want to hear again your thoughts on it. It, And like, you know, I just I just want to know what you guys think knowing Christ is um, so that we might kind of iron out whatever we might, you know, we might have. Does anybody have something to say? What What do you think it means to know Christ? To build a relationship with Him, which I mean, I can I can build on that too. But like, you know, communion with Christ, spend time with Him in prayer, in the Word, be able to you know, come to a point where. Because obviously it's not going to be exactly the same way that my relationship with Drew is or, or something like that. Um, but to, to have that, that same kind of approach to it where um, you know you can, you can find confidence in Christ, you can rely on Christ, that, that you can you know, spend time with Christ and be able to do all of the, I guess, all of the, the functional parts of any other relationship that you have or any other close relationship you have apart from, I guess, the, the physical aspect of it. Yeah. Anybody else? I was going to say it's like the difference between like being friends with something, someone and just like knowing of someone. Yeah. So like I'm friends with, I'd say everybody in this room. Like I spend time with them. I've talked to them. Mm-hmm. But like this, like you said, out in Hollywood with celebrities, like I know of celebrities, but mm-hmm. I don't know them. You don't know them. I agree. Yeah. Anybody else? All right, so I just, I want to make sure that, like, we understand this. Like, this is so important for our faith, for, like, this should absolutely change everything about the way we live, the way we comport ourselves. This should change our heart, every choice we make, every word we speak. Knowing Christ should be the sole desire of our life. So what I, what I have written, I'm going to read it, but I'm going to try to, uh, we'll talk about it. So what I have written is to know Christ is to be completely fulfilled and satisfied in him, to receive the spirit and new life through him being Christ. To know Christ means to experience his glory and to glorify him that he might be praised and others might know him, become the sole desires of our life. So that's like pretty dense. What? we have. So I'll I'll read it again. It says, to know Christ is to be completely fulfilled and satisfied in him. Completely. As in like there is nothing else in this world that you could ever desire more than Christ. Like priority number one. That is to know Christ. Not that we are perfect. Not that we actually will be able to uphold that Christ is number one. But that he is the desire to be number one. Like we, we want Christ to be priority number one. We work to have Christ priority number one so that we might be completely fulfilled and satisfied in him that means that we don't have to go to other things to be fulfilled we don't have to i don't know like like please our flesh in some way or um go to drugs or alcohol in some way to to be fulfilled or to be satisfied it's like man i i just feel like you know there's something missing in my life you're always like there's that puzzle piece missing like what can i use to fill this void or like what's 
it's because Jesus is meant to be there. To know Christ is to be completely fulfilled and satisfied. If you are completely fulfilled and satisfied, you no longer are searching all the time to find that missing piece. You have the missing piece. It is Christ. Um, the next one is to receive the Spirit and new life through Him. When you truly uh, become a Christian, as in when you give your life to Christ, um, you know, by grace through faith, then you have new life. You become a completely new person. This is why I say it should change everything. This should change everything. Your life in sin, when you live in sin, as in like when sin is habitual, it's, it's completely different. That, that actually, if you read First John, if you have habitual sin in your life, this is going to be convicting. It means that you don't actually know Christ. You're pursuing sin over Christ. I want you guys to understand this. It's, it's so important. Um, it's not that like, oh, oh crap, like I need to change something. It's that like, you need to know Christ. Like we all need to know Christ, whether you think I know Christ or not. I need to know Christ. That is what I need. Um, and so when you know Christ and when you come to like Christianity, when you come to a relationship with Christ by grace through faith, then you are reborn spiritually and you like your life changes right? You come to live for Christ so that others might know him and, and you might experience him. And this is kind of a play on what John Piper likes to say. He's always talking about how we want to experience God's glory and glorify God so that others might experience his glory and that God might be exhorted or praised. So that should be our like only desire in life. When we're completely fulfilled and satisfied, we don't have to search for other things, for a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, to fulfill us, to, to be that missing thing. We need to search, like, we will, we're already fulfilled. And so then, like, what do we do? It's like, we must praise God, and we want to experience God more. Like, there's always more of God that we might experience. And in doing so, others might know him. It's like, you don't want to just keep the most amazing thing in all creation to yourself. Like, why not share this with your friends? Why not share this with a stranger? Anybody, everybody deserves to experience Christ. So his glory, you know, it should become the sole desire of our life. And that others might experience his glory should come right after. Should come right after that. It should change everything, guys. This is why Christians should look different. They shouldn't look like this world. They know Christ. They have a relationship with Christ. And it completely changes them. It is like, it is so important. Um, and, and we'll make sure to talk about this in our discussion today, like, you know, knowing Christ and, and what that means for each of us and, and how might we do that? That'll be questions that we want to talk about. Uh, but I, I want to go and turn to, uh, to at least, I guess, a disciple and an apostle um, and, and see what John has to say about this. And next we'll look at uh, what Paul has to say about knowing Christ. But these are, these are meant to kind of emphasize what I've said here. Um, so the first one comes in, uh, first John four, seven through 10. So if you haven't read the epistle of first John, I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message last night. And, um, at least at the moment, I think first John might be my favorite book in the Bible. Um, but man, it is convicting, but it also just talks about the grace and the love of Christ. John just like, he loves talking about love and he loves talking about the love from God so I'm going to say the word love a lot right, right when I read this verse. So I, I might have to read it twice because it's kind of twisty. Uh, but here's, here's what we got. Um, it says, Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. There we go, knows God. Anyone who does not, who does not, (laughs) wait, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, that is like the gospel and it is like amped up with love right there. It is so good. I'm gonna read it again. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this love that we have lo- that not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this is like the gospel. This, this is the gospel right here. Um, in a like love lens, we'll say. So we see that, you know, God loved us first, right? And that's why he sent his only son while we were still sinners, that we might know him, that we might experience him, that his glory and others experiencing his glory might be the sole desire of our life. That is the whole purpose. It's the whole reason we're here. We should just want to know Christ. Um, and, and love God or experience his love, uh, whatever. And so it says in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Um, and propitiation means like ultimate sacrifice. Um, and so lastly, I want to finish with the words of Paul and then we'll, we'll have a quick prayer and, uh, get to discussions. So, uh, Paul is, uh, radical. And I like that about Paul cause he's just kind of crazy and, you know, it's just, it's like, don't you want to be crazy about God? Like, like, can't you think about it? Like, there's nothing better than being like absolutely crazy, like zealous for God so that others might know him, so that you might experience him more. There's nothing better. Like, Paul's going to talk about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Like, do you understand that? Do you understand the surpassing worth? Like, nothing in this world matters compared to knowing Christ. Nothing. Not a relationship, not even like doing good, not even looking good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are good, if people think you're good. Not not in comparison to knowing Christ. There's nothing better than knowing Christ. I just want you guys to know him. Here's what Paul says. This is uh, Philippians 3, 7 through 11, if you're following along. I'll give you a moment to flip there. Okay, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to read that one more time. I could read that a million more times. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, everything in his life. He counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth. That word is so important, surpassing. For his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having them as a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. The word rubbish here, uh, when translated, is like the dirtiest of all trash. This means like, like in truth, this is the same word that is used to describe like the clothes or the scraps of the clothes that the people that wore when they were unclean, like when they had leprosy or if they had some sort of uh, bleeding disease or disorder, um, that's the same word to describe. Like they are like rubbish. Like everything in this world is just like trash, like unclean, bloody trash compared to knowing Christ. You guys see how important this is to Paul. The last verse, verse 10, or the last two, that I may know him, in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying that he would be willing to suffer for Christ, that he might know him and experience him more. He's willing to suffer. He's willing to die for Christ so that he might know Christ more. That is the way that we're supposed to live as Christians. Knowing Christ should be above all other things. There's nothing better than knowing Christ. I, I just... I can't say it over and over again, like more than this. Like you have to go away knowing that knowing Christ is number one. It is priority number one. It is, it is the point of Christianity. It is the basis of our relationship with Christ. It is everything. Christianity is not meant to be a religion. It's not meant to be just going to church on Sunday. It's not meant to just like be something on the outside. Christianity is on the inside. God looks at the heart. It's about knowing Christ. It's not about looking like a Christian. It's not about looking good. It's not about receiving the great things that Jesus promises us. It's not about being entertained by your pastor or whatever else. It's not being entertained by Jesus' miracles. It's about experiencing Christ, about knowing Christ and having a relationship with the creator of this world, the one who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you because he loved you too. So you might know him. You just need to know him. Would somebody like to close us in prayer? Nobody wants to close us in prayer. I can close us in prayer. I have no problem with that. Give me one second to pause this.